worship at Hollywood United Methodist Church. We are glad that you have joined us here in person and online for worship on this Memorial Day weekend. Please stand as you are able for our opening hymns.
Good morning. If Good morning. Any, any children would like to come down and join us on the steps here, we would be happy to have you. Thanks for coming on up. Come on down. Since she said she wanted to sit with Lila Bell. Yeah. You want to sit right here? If you want to come and join us on the steps, you can. We are just going to ask you a couple questions. We're going to ask you some, uh, if you have any times in your life where you've experienced some things. So we'll tell you those things in advance, and you can start thinking about them. We're going to ask you if you've ever been scared or if you've ever been angry. I know. Yeah. No, we, and we don't have like a lot of time. Reverend Kathy doesn't want us to be up here all day. Right. So they have to be short stories and maybe like a sentence, maybe two. So, and we'll take one story of each. So you have one? All right. So um, I felt scared when I was in a car accident with my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scared when yeah. you were in a car accident. That is so scary. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a car accident before. You too, come on, Ray. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's very scary. It can be very scary. How about, is there a time that you've ever been angry? Can anybody think of a time you've been angry? Sure, do you wanna tell me the story? I've been angry when I was bad. Oh, when you were sad. Yes, oh, yeah. because it doesn't feel good to be sad, right? Mm -mm. It does not feel good to be sad. One time I was running late somewhere and I was already late, I was like 20 minutes late, and I went by this car, and I don't think I was going fast, but maybe, it's a possibility, I was going a little fast, and then this other person was going fast, and we clipped our mirrors, and I got so angry at this person, Ugh. and then I really had to sit, when I sat back in my car, I had, God, God spoke to me and just said, that you did not act the way that I would want you to act, and I felt so bad, and I, that whole car ride, I just had to ask God to forgive me, too yeah. bad I couldn't ask that woman to forgive me for yeah. being so mad. And I, it made me realize in that moment, I am so thankful in times when we're scared and in times when we're angry or we're confused, that God is there with us. Yeah, um, I remember the scared, most scared I've ever been. I was eight years old and I got on the wrong bus after school. And uh, I didn't know what to do and I was afraid to say anything. And of course my parents are worried. And so I definitely prayed and then I listened and remembered what my parents told me to like, seek out a kind person and so there was a woman she just happened to be a registered nurse who was sitting there on the bus and she helped me and I know uh, behind the scenes my parents were had police had school had all different types of people looking um, so there was prayer and then they were also really all of us were doing what we were supposed to do afterwards to really um, help the situation right. and uh, yeah, I ended up being reunited. <laughs> <laughs> when we are feeling scared, when we're feeling angry, when we're feeling confused, God is right there. All we have to do is turn to God, and, and God is there. But also God gives us people. Mm -hmm. Gives us people like a caring adult, a parent, a loved one. He gives us each other, our family. That life can be hard, it can be scary, it can yeah. be confusing but God is always there. We'll talk more in Children's Church, okay? So let's pray together and just thank God for God's presence in our life. Our heavenly parent, we love you. We thank you. We know that life can be very scary. It can be confusing. It can make us angry. It can make us sad. Thank you that you are always there. Anytime we turn to you, God, you show up for us. You speak to us. You give us what we need and you Put us in families and in communities and with people who can walk with us. Thank you that we have one another, that 
every child on these steps, every child watching at home, every, every young person in the congregation to know that they're not alone. We have one another. And we will walk through the highs and the lows, and the valleys and the peaks together. And we thank you for those promises that you are our comfort and our guide. And we love you and we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. As we head off to Children's Church, we invite you to stand, pass the peace of Christ. The children will be in the nursery. In the nursery today. So you can come and pick up the kids at the nursery. So please stand. you now to prepare yourself for our time of prayer that we share together, a time that we set apart from the bumble and the rush of Los Angeles life and really enter into intentional conversation with God. God's always listening for us, but sometimes we don't make time for that important conversation. And so we've got a little time for that now. I invite you to receive our invitation to prayer from our wonderful Chancel Choir. Loving God, on this Memorial Day, we lift up the memory of all who we have loved who have been lost. We remember the brave, those who served our country, and all other loved ones who have gone on before us. Dear God, we confess that we are sad and confused and angry. We gather as a people afflicted with grief and confusion. Another mass shooting in our nation. And so we come to you to pray and to worship and to seek your presence. And we light these 33 candles in memory of the 19 children lost in Uvalde and the three adults the 10 children of God in Buffalo who were grocery shopping and were targeted for their color of their skin. And one more in Laguna Woods, all in two weeks. How long, O oh Lord? How long? We have prayed over and over again for you to deliver us from these evils and tragedies and we cannot make sense of this pain, of this loss. There are too many. But we know that you hear our prayers, and so we come to you again. We lift up the grieving families of Ivaldi, of Laguna, of Buffalo, 
May you give them solace and a place for their anger and their loss and their pain. And we bring you our own because we cannot understand that rage and the anger and the hate that permeates our world and gives rise to such violence. Lord, we mourn with these victims and we pray for their healing. And we pray for all the healing of all who are sick, who are grieving, for those in our own community, for Marlon and for Ruth for recovery from her pain and for the family of Weldon who are preparing to send him home to you. God, we confess that we have been waiting. We have been waiting for someone else to take the lead. We have known since Columbine and Sunnyside, since Boulder, since Parkland, since Pulse, since Buffalo, Laguna, and now Uvalde, that there is more for us to do, more than these prayers. We thank you for receiving them, and we pray that you will lay your Holy Spirit over us and over the face of this nation so that we might find the wisdom that is necessary, the strength that is required, the hope that is essential to confront hate with love, to turn swords into plowshares, and to build a community and a country where people can live without fear. Help us to be honest about the angry sins of this nation's past so that we might build a healed future where racist ideology is challenged and your truth of love and compassion reigns. We pray that you will work through us. Our hearts are troubled, our minds are confused, but our love is clear. You have come to redeem us and you have welcomed us to your kingdom and to the work of building the beloved community. And so now we offer you the prayers that remain on our heart in silence. Work through us, O oh God, because we do not know the way. We usually don't even have the words, but we do have the prayer that your son taught us. And in times like this, it is a comfort and a reminder that you are always there, waiting for us to invite you into the struggle and to lead us into a world reborn in peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning again. There's no place I'd rather be and with people I'd rather be with than you all this morning on this Sunday when the world is confusing and broken 
It is good to be in the house of God. Am I right? God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And I just want to thank those of you who came last week with us to Food on Foot, just a few blocks away at the LGBT Center. We were able to serve probably more than 100 of our houseless neighbors, and more than a dozen volunteers came, including youth. And it was a really exceptional morning. It was an incredible program. I think we'll be going back. It was really well received by the folks who went there. Who, raise your hand if you were, here, you were there last Sunday. There's quite a few who went. Um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, there'll be more opportunities like that, so just keep your eyes on that note from the pastor and the announcements, and we'll bring it to you. I also want to share something with you. You may see in your pew this card that has an emergency reference guide on it. I know probably seeing it for the first time today may have been a little unsettling for folks. We actually had these made in 2020 before we returned to the sanctuary. It's good for us to know what our emergency routes are for any kind of situation. But we want you to know that your church is thinking about your safety and what it is to come here and be able to worship in peace. Um, and so this is there. If you have any questions about what we might do in an emergency, you can find that information here. Our pastor, Pastor Kathy, has been working really diligently over the last couple of years to raise grants and funds to increase the security of our building. You know, we want you to feel at peace here and we want our doors to remain open and they will remain open. But we are... Um, you know, as gentle as a dove, wise as serpents, as the Bible would say. And we are aware of what's in our community. So I just wanted you to know that's there, but not to be alarmed by it or feel confused. That's why it's there. A couple of wonderful announcements for you. Next Sunday, June 5th, I'm going to be on vacation, which is sad for me because you all are going to be having a party here on Pentecost. It's going to be an incredible Sunday. We're going to have um, our UMC chapel, the Boston Avenue UMC Chapel Choir. There's going to be lunch and a birthday cake. Three baptisms are happening, and our worship and arts team is going to tell the Pentecost story. Don't miss this special service. It's going to be amazing. We do need some volunteers to help serve lunch afterwards so that everyone feels welcome. If you're able to stay and volunteer, please email Pastor Kathy, and she will be ready to um, plug you into that opportunity. It's going to be fantastic. And now we have an announcement from Eric, who has been running our pride work. Hello, my friends. Eric Feltis here, and I'm so excited to talk to you about marching with us in the Pride Parade on Sunday, June 12th. But first, I want to invite you to join us at 4 p.m. on Saturday, June 11th, at our Hollywood campus to decorate our double-decker bus and eat pizza and be merry. Then on June 12th, for the actual parade, we're meeting in the Hollywood campus parking lot at 7.30 a.m. to gather on the bus and travel to the staging area. Once we get settled and before we start marching at 10.30, there will be time for prayer and communion and donuts and coffee and hugs and a lot of love. But more importantly than any of those details, I want to tell you why this is important. Is marching in the Pride Parade fun? Yes, of course it's fun. It should be fun. Oh, please bring your friends too. This is a party. But it's not just a party. This is an opportunity for us to remember the queer people who came before us and lost their lives so that people like me, a cisgender, white, gay man, can speak freely and openly as a gay Christian. We also march to let those around us know that they are loved and celebrated, not in spite of who they are, but because of it. Marching in the Pride Parade is a lot of things to a lot of people. For me, it's a celebration, a commemoration, and 
an act of radical and inclusive love. It's kind of like the love that Jesus has for us. Like, I hope that I can celebrate with you and love you and be with you on June 11th and June 12th. And for more information, go ahead and email me at pride at hollywoodumc.org. Peace. Well, I hope that you will join me. I am going to be on the double-decker bus. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm hoping to bring some youth who will be there first time. Um, please join us. So the next couple weeks is going to be an amazing witness and celebration of our faith. We'll have a chance to party right here in the sanctuary on June 5th and celebrate the birthday of the church and then march and celebrate who we are and um, who God loves in the world on the 12th at our Pride Parade witness. So please, please join us. Um, you can see that there's lots of information out there. Email Eric, visit the YouTube of this service, get those details again. All that we do here, everything that we do in the witness to the love of Christ, the full acceptance of all people, and the call for justice in our world that needs it so much is made possible by the Holy Spirit that moves through us and the gifts and offerings that you bring here. Everything that we do has meaning and your gifts are put to good work in our community. We invite you to give as generously as you are able in this time of offering.
a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus is, it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. It's good to be back with you. I missed you last Sunday. Today we conclude our Eastertide sermon series entitled, Why Pray? During these six weeks, we've considered not just why, but how to pray by looking at the elements of the Lord's Prayer as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And as a basis for this series, I did use a new book by the Reverend Adam Hamilton, uh, pastor of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, entitled The Lord's Prayer, The Meaning and Power of the Prayer Jesus Taught. So to recap very briefly, we began the series by contemplating our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We asked why Jesus said our instead of my, concluding that because we all belong to God, we need to acknowledge our corporate, our community prayer to God. The next week we considered thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about what our world would look like if God's kingdom fully existed on earth, and where we can see glimpses of the kingdom in our everyday lives. We also talked about the gap between the world as it could be and as it is, and how we are called to bridge that gap to bring forth the kingdom on earth. Then we talked about our daily bread, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for God to give us the essence of what we need to exist. Again, not a personal prayer, but a collective one for the bread that feeds our hunger, but also the bread of life that nourishes our souls. We then considered probably the hardest petition in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We, every time we pray this prayer, we are both seeking and being reminded to extend forgiveness. Last week, Pastor Bridie spoke on lead us, Period. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you'll notice she did that in the Lord's Prayer. Today, we stop after lead us, and then we move on. And what that looks like in our lives today. And today we consider the final phrasing, which is not a petition, but rather a doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Now, first off, we notice that this doxology is not in either Matthew or Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It was likely added by the early church in the first or second century as a way of giving the prayer a sort of spiritual heft or importance. It likely is based on King David's words recorded in First Chronicles in which David talks about the offerings being given to build the temple as giving glory and power to God. So I want us to spend just a few moments looking at the structure of the doxology. For thine. Hamilton notes that this little preposition is saying, in essence, is that the reason we can pray for all of these things in the Lord's Prayer is because the kingdom and the power and the glory, they already belong to God. When we pray the words of this doxology, we not only acknowledge God's power, but we are making a statement of faith. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, O oh God, I know you are with me, and I know you hear my prayer. I know that you are able to provide for our daily needs. I know you can rescue us from evil. I know that you forgive the debts that imprison us, and you free us to spread that forgiveness, that grace to others. Saying this prayer daily and with, this, with its doxology is a way of shaping and training our hearts as we pray. Thine, not mine, O Lord, thine. Thine is the kingdom. Thine, not mine, is the power. Thine, not mine, is the glory. I'm giving over my little kingdom, my minuscule power, and my non-existent glory to you. Now, at this point in the sermon, I was going in one direction. The train was going this way. And then Tuesday happened. So we're not going that way. There's lots of great sermons about uh, what it means to seek power over the welfare of others, to talk about our natural human tendency to seek glory for ourselves, even when it corrupts us, and how the doxology can disrupt our common practice of putting ourselves first instead of God. And those will be great sermons for another time. But for today, we're going to look at the gospel lesson and then what praying the Lord's Prayer requires of us as Christ followers in light of the tragedy of this week. Today's ascension story, this year from the Gospel of Luke, comes around on the last Sunday of Eastertide, the Sunday prior to Pentecost, the birthday of the church, which we will celebrate next week. As we heard Rance read, Jesus has taken pains to remind the disciples of how his life and death and resurrection has fulfilled the scriptures and how they have been witnesses to this truth. Jesus then tells them that they're to stay in the city until they are cloaked with power on, from on high, the spirit coming down on Pentecost. Then they all walked with him as far as Bethany, a few miles out of the city, not being willing to say goodbye, trying hard to hang on to him. But finally, Jesus was giving them their final blessings, and then he ascended to heaven, leaving them there out in Bethany, a few miles outside of the city, on their own. I've often thought about what the disciples might have talked about as they walked back to the city. They had been on an emotional roller coaster, to be sure, 
three years of teaching and healing and traveling and miracles, all in anticipation of the kingdom that is to come. And then their hopes and their spirits are dashed, crushed with the betrayal and the crucifixion of the Christ. And then he's resurrected and returns to earth for a brief time. So now what? It was up to the disciples to keep the Jesus movement going. And even while they waited on the power of the Spirit to come over them, my guess is they realized really quickly that they were no longer followers. They were leaders. They had to sing, here I am, Lord, send me. And the future of the kingdom was at stake. I imagine that long walk back to the city contained a great deal of spirited conversation about what that was going to mean for them, coupled with a lot of prayer, especially the Lord's Prayer because it became their blueprint moving forward. Bishop Will Willimon and Duke Divinity Professor Stanley Hauerwas once wrote that the Lord's Prayer, especially the line, for thine is the kingdom, is actually a pledge of allegiance to a king and his kingdom that throws all the rest of our allegiances into crisis. Hamilton invites us to think about it. This doxology is a pledge of our allegiance to God's kingdom and power and glory, which are meant to come before all other allegiances in our lives. Which means that praying this prayer, pledging our allegiance to God and to God's kingdom, means that we have to ask probing questions of our nation and of our leaders. Hamilton writes, is this law, this piece of legislation, this executive order, this policy consistent with the values that we have pledged ourselves to in the Lord's Prayer? Is my support of this policy, this law, this position consistent with my pledge, recognizing that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God and to God alone? It was just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, that I stood in this pulpit and I read the Anne Lamott essay that I read after every mass shooting. At least I have for the past six years. I read it in response to the racist slaughter of African Americans at the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, New York on May 14th. Later that Sunday, after we'd all gone home and taken a nap, there was a politically motivated attack at a Presbyterian church in Laguna Woods here in Southern California. And then this past Tuesday, 19 children and two teachers were brutally massacred in their elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. And the husband of one of the teachers was so heartbroken that he literally died of a broken heart two days later. I'm not going to read Lamott's essay this morning, but I invite you to go to her Facebook page because you will find it there. And she also wrote a new one this past week. Here's what I am going to offer you. Here is a portion of the sermon that I gave the Sunday after the Sandy Hook massacre shortly before Christmas, nearly 10 years ago. It will be 10 years this coming December. I spent most of Friday, like many of you, 
alternating between the news and sobbing over the senseless loss of life of these precious little children and heroic teachers and administrators, trying to find reason where none exists, praying for comfort and peace for all, and being crystal clear about God in the process that this senseless act of violence is not God's will, nor is violence ever the will of God. Our God who loves us so deeply would never will such pain and suffering on any of us. And God's heart is breaking over the hurts and pains of these little ones and their families. I believe God's heart breaks every time a child is killed in a drive-by shooting, every time a spouse is shot in a domestic violence dispute, every time a life is cut short at the hands of another. This is a picture of my kids taken, okay, the sermon says two years ago, it's actually now 12 years ago. Do not tell them I showed this in church, they would not be happy with me. But this picture is taken in Boston and that sign is there on the side of Fenway Park. Until earlier that year, I thought it was an advertisement for a gun shop. It actually was put up probably 14 or 15 years ago now by the Stop Handgun to Violence Advocacy Group to call attention to the gun show loophole in Massachusetts, which has since been closed. But in 33 states, anyone can buy a gun or assault rifle at a gun show with no background check, no waiting period, and many times no ID. Fast forward to 2022, that number remains unchanged. Going back, we are God's hands and feet in this broken and hurting world, and I believe that that means we need to advocate for greater gun safety and greater funding for health care generally and mental health care specifically. These were words from 10 years ago. But we also need to be remolded by the spirit in ways that we ourselves can contribute to the pervasive violence that permeates our life in this time and culture. It could be as simple as calling shotgun when we carpool or using phrases like, I'm blown away in daily conversations. It can be in choosing not to give gifts of toy guns or superheroes that use guns or video or computer games to the children and adults in our lives. It can be taking advantage of whatever opportunity we have to engage our friends and family members in conversations that while, yes, mentally ill or simply evil people who are hell-bent on killing will try to find a way, we must not be enablers by allowing the powers and principalities, also known as the gun lobby and their millions, to make it easier for them. That was from 2012. From this week, one conservative, poli conservative political cartoonist put it this way. Enough. Enough with the assault rifles that 18-year-olds can purchase legally, even though at that age they can't buy alcohol or cigarettes or even rent a car. Enough with the concept 
that the Constitution of the United States is to be venerated over the gospel of Jesus Christ or over life itself because it is not. Enough with the pretzel logic that says you can pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory and believe that the manufacture, sale, or use of assault weapons anywhere at any time in civil society is okay because it is not and it is not consistent with the teachings of Jesus to love one another. Enough with elected officials on both sides of the aisle, with very few exceptions, standing up for what is right rather than what is politically expedient. That assault weapons ban that was in place in the 1990s should never have been allowed to expire in 2004. And enough, enough with turning thoughts and prayers into a meme of ridicule. We do offer our thoughts and our prayers to all who are grieving in Uvalde, in Buffalo, in Laguna Woods. We offer our thoughts and prayers with sincerity to all who are grieving anywhere. But as this sermon series has taught us, prayer, especially the Lord's Prayer, is not simply a passive recitation of words. It is a declaration of who we are, what we believe, and to whom we pledge allegiance. So this morning, family, I'm going to invite you to pray with your hands and your hearts. When you entered, the ushers gave you a note card with the Lord's Prayer on one side and it's blank on the other. Does anyone need one? I'm going to call on Rance to do triple duty today. <laughs> and he just keep your hand raised and he will pass you one, one to you rather. There should be some pins in the, in the pew racks or pencils. In the next few moments, I'm going to invite you to write a prayer, a thought, a wish on that blank side for a member of the Uvalde community who is grieving this day. And then you're invited to put them in the basket in the narthex. We're doing this at Harmony as well today. We're going to collect them and we're going to mail them to the pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Uvalde as a way of demonstrating our thoughts and our prayers, which are true and sincere and a means for us to claim back that phrase. John will offer us some music as we write.
If you haven't finished writing, go ahead and continue. I close with this. Not long before 93-year-old Bunny Riley passed from this life into glory just a few months ago, her daughter Liz asked her why she prays, especially why she prays the Lord's Prayer, which she loved. And Bunny told her, things just work better that way when she does. Family, things do work better when we pray, when we say thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, when we pledge allegiance to our God. Remember the words of Kierkegaard, which began this entire series. He wrote, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. So as we offer these prayers, we are changing. We are again drawing closer to God. We are saying to God, here I am, Lord, send me. For thine, not mine, O Lord, but thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever into the ages. So be it. Amen. this Memorial Day weekend, remembering, giving thanks, and pledging once again to live the Lord's Prayer in your own life. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. <laughs>